0: You may recall in episode two that Ángel Resendiz told me that Daryl Colahaco had picked him up from a day labour spot in Houston that he called Magnolias.
1: Her husband picked me up in Magnolias. Okay. There was to go to work. Okay. Where is Magnolias?
0: Well, I couldn't find any mention of it in my research, but one of our listeners, Angie, got in touch last week and told us that what Resendiz was actually referring to was probably magnolia. She said it's an area on the southeast side of Houston where labourers are picked up to do work. Well, we looked into it a little more, Angie helped out, and we found out that it's part of an area that includes Magnolia Park, which by the late 1920s had become the largest Mexican settlement in the city. Today it's also known as Second Ward. All of this helps establish that Resendez was telling the truth, at least about the geography of the area. Did he kill Daryl Colahaco? We don't know for sure, but we do know that the day labour spot from where he claims Kolohako picked him up really exists. This is also why we'd love it if you'd join the Facebook group and get involved in the conversation, because who knows, you may help us move the story on. This is a case you'll be hearing a lot more about in future episodes, but for now, I'm still in the desert. Deadman Man Talking is brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, exchange-traded funds, and cryptos, all commission-free. The app includes easy-to-understand charts and market data, and you can place a trade with just four taps of your smartphone. So it's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time. And you can learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. And what's more, other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at deadman.robinhood.com. That's deadman.robinhood.com.
1: One place is in the border between uh, Arizona and California. There were three or four in, in the border. Three or four between Arizona and California. Yeah. Remember, they got the, the, the river that they buy into? Yeah.
2: Blythe, a farming city known for its rest stops on the road to California, is close to collapsing.
3: Not too far from the I 10 off ramp and the fast food restaurants, you'll see closed businesses for lease signs.
4: It would be easy for a body to. Uh, Go undiscovered for 20, 30 years. I mean, it happens all the time. And so it, it's concerning to me that we have families out there that, that don't have any closure because we haven't found these bodies that are possibly there.
0: From DMT Media and Audio Boom, this is the Dead Man Talking Podcast with me. Alex Hannaford. I'm still in Blythe, California, the place where I believe Angel Resendez was talking about when he confessed to those extra murders and I'm trying to get to the bottom of what he told me on the tape all those years ago. Chief Wade of Blythe Police Department made me feel like I'm definitely on the right path with his comments on the location, the transient camps and the ease with which bodies could remain hidden for years. There's a lot less to work with here compared to what Resendiz had told me about the murder of Daryl Collar hako but it's still important to follow this lead to find out whether his confessions to me were accurate. There were more people to talk to in this vast desert area and I was about to get a knockback. And has this small town previously had other serial killers operating in its midst? Nice to on meet on you. Just down the road from Blythe Police Station and Chief Wade oh, is the Riverside County Sheriff's Office. Their jurisdiction is more than 5,000 square miles and it incorporates a California section of the Colorado River, so it was important that I talk to them too. I met Sheriff David Teets and Sergeant Thomas Villade at their Blythe substation and I played them the resenders tape. He's got a very um, strong Hispanic accent. It's a bit difficult to kind of understand him. One place is in the border
1: between uh, Arizona and California.
0: We wouldn't be able to
4: speculate. Mm. I mean, that would be, it would be impossible for us to speculate if any of those would be even related. Mm. I don't know.
0: You know, you listen to a recording. I I couldn't speculate on that. Thomas, you?
5: It's just so vague. And this area is so large. Mm. Our desert is vast. And as a detective, I investigated many uh, found bodies in the desert, and most of them were immigrants trying to make it to I-10. And those investigations, they were all consistent to somebody coming north through the desert and trying to make it to I-10. Extremely horrible temperatures for someone who's not prepared, and usually these folks were not. Mm. I was trying to really nitpick his statements it could very well be possible, anything's possible. And the train once ran through the city of Blythe, it ran through Ripley. But then at the same token, the transients that were there when that community was thriving a little bit more than it is today, everybody knew who was who. Mm. And um, I certainly don't remember that name. And um, and it was uh, reported to Blythe PD. Mm. And, and I've been here 29 years, born and raised here in the Blythe area.
0: Well, after my chat with Chief Wade, this is a bit disappointing, but it's not entirely unexpected, I guess. It's vague, and that's what they're saying. It is vague. There's no way they can say that Resendiz definitely killed four people on their patch. But if Resendiz had dumped bodies in the river here, they could have ended up far, far away from Riverside County. It's entirely possible that he killed three or four people in Riverside County, but the body's washed up in La Paz or in wherever else down the Colorado River, if you put them in the river, which is what he was intimating. In our line of work, we've learned that anything's possible. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you tell me, I don't know the geography, but if Resendez had committed a, a murder, dumped the body in the river.
5: Our river from here goes south and it dumps into Mexico. In, in what I can say is that in the last, I'll go as back as 20 years We haven't had a body pop up in our river Mm. that would be any different than someone who we knew had gone down and we were searching for, Mm. and or eventually popped up in the Imperial Valley, which is south of us. Mm. We haven't had a case like that um, where a body that we weren't looking for Mm. popped up all of a sudden.
0: I tried the lost and found database on them to see if the cases rang any bells. We shouldn't speculate on those. I think we should, you should contact the coroner's office on there because they will have the most accurate information. We'd just be guessing. But I was keen to get their views on the bags of chopped up human remains that I discovered on the database that I'd looked at with George. Uh, this one here, the uh, 1995 female, three plastic bags containing two legs, two arms, feet attached, hands missing. I mean, this sounds just unbelievably violent and terrible
5: no what that was uh it it was body parts that were coming from a lab or what have you and i don't know why they had done it the way that they did but it was a bag that had fallen out ah and um so it wasn't uh, it wasn't some like no it wasn't okay it wasn't someone who had committed a crime okay and, and and dropped got it something that they were trying to get rid of it was actually something that was
0: um, there was a legitimate it, explanation. There was between. a
5: legitimate reason.
0: But one of the unidentified dead caught their eye. This was the decomposed body of a woman who was found in 1992 on the side of a road in the desert near Blythe. She had blonde hair and she was never identified. She was only known as Jane Doe.
5: I remember that. He was the I was brand new on patrol and he called himself the Happy Face Killer and he had sent letters and he was confessing And I think that's how the case was uh, reopened in our area.
0: Okay, hold on for just a minute. We're going to take a very brief departure from Resendez. In 2009, a man called Keith Jesperson confessed to her murder. He was known as the Happy Face Killer after drawing happy faces on letters to prosecutors boasting of his crimes.
5: I know he was facing um, execution someplace else.
0: Jesperson was already serving life in Oregon for another murder and he'd confessed to other killings in Washington, Wyoming and Northern California. Then he was extradited to Riverside County to face charges here too. Jesperson said the woman had called herself Claudia, but all these years later, the girl still remains unidentified. I mean, it's just incredible. If you go to Blythe, you can see how... Smaller town it really is. I mean, without being rude, there's nothing really happens there. It's just kind of an intersection on Highway 10 that stretches east and west across the entire country, and the fact that there were potentially two serial killers operating in this one town is amazing. I'd appreciate you sure um, taking time to let us come and talk to you. Absolutely, my pleasure, our pleasure. So, no real insight there into Resendez's claims. On to my next lead. We've just driven an hour northeast of Blythe, crossed over the Colorado River to Parker, Arizona, which is the La Paz County seat. Hello,
4: how are you? Hey, how are you? Good, I'm Alex. How you? Are
0: you? In the sheriff's office, I met Lieutenant Richard Epps He didn't want to talk to me at first and uh, called his boss up to see if he'd deal with us, but to be honest, I had just turned up, so I couldn't blame him. Once again, I played the Resendiz tape. So, one place. One place is in the
1: border between Arizona and California.
0: Lieutenant Epps began by telling me that they deal with a lot of dead bodies up here. It's not unusual to find uh, human remains out in the desert Mm -hmm. here. And that's because of the
4: the migrants that are coming. But I mean, it's even more than that. We have homeless... Mm -hmm. Um, they end up here for some reason. They'll be out in the desert camping in a shanty or something that they make,
0: and they pass away out there. Um, It's not unusual. Mm. What was interesting was just to kind of get your take on on the sort of positioning of the geography of what he's saying. But also, you know, my understanding is if he'd have killed people there and put the bodies in the, the river, they could easily have popped up in various places like Riverside, oh, oh yeah. your county, wherever. I mean, once yep. they floated down the river.
4: The river speed down there, it's lower than it was in
0: the, in the 80s. Yeah. So the river was faster than it is now. So if Resendiz had dumped his victims there, they could have ended up a long way away. Maybe the database will help us.
4: So the speed of that river would carry a body if it stayed unsnagged.
0: Mm-hmm. You could go to Cibola. Well, that's it, it, sorry, so, okay. That's great that you said that because the first we looked at the Namus database, mm-hmm. and the first unidentified human remains we found was this. Yes, which was, Cibola, wild yeah, Cibola Wildlife Refuge. Yeah. So this was the decedent discovered floating in the river, Colorado River, five miles south of Cibola, and and this would have been a year before he was arrested. So he would have definitely been at large. Yeah. At this point. This was interesting because if a body had been dumped in the river near Blythe, it could conceivably have floated down until it got lodged in weeds as the river snakes through the refuge 30 miles away. I'd have to write down the name and I'll go search it and see if we have a record of it. Great, thank you.
4: Let's see what I can find. Here it is. Thank you so much. If you want to read it to your microphone and that way you'll have it, it's, it's, quite, you it's just quite long.
0: long. Yeah. It says, the autopsy report lists the cause of death as undetermined and states there are no findings of injury or trauma associated with the death. What I need to know now is, is it possible to be hit on the head by a blunt object and then, when the body's discovered, however long later, there are no signs of any traumatic injury at all? What would you do if you were us? I mean, do you think that there's enough to go on? I
4: think it's going to be kind of difficult for you because um, this part of the state and this part of California state is such a transient area. You're going to come upon all kinds of bodies that were found. You're going to have all kinds of missing reports from back in the day. You know, without him here to say, yep, that's the one I did, uh, it's going to be kind of tough.
0: I feel like I'm back to looking for a needle in a haystack again, and it's quite demoralizing. Today's podcast is sponsored by Helix, and what helps you fall asleep Noise machines, essential oils, some device attached to your nose. What if the reason you're not sleeping is that your mattress is terrible because it wasn't designed for you? We're all different, so why would you buy a generic mattress built for everyone else? Helix Sleep built a sleep quiz that takes two minutes to complete, and they use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress, just go to helixsleep.com/dmt. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. For couples, they can even split the mattress down the middle, so each side is designed for the individual. What's more, there's a ten-year warranty, and you'll get to try it out for a hundred nights, risk-free. Get up to $125 off at helixsleep.com slash DMT. That's helixsleep.com slash DMT for $125 off your mattress order. Now back to the show. How did you kill them?
1: I I tried first to hit him in the head with a with a three by three. It looks like a four by four, but it's just, just a little bit smaller. What piece of what was it, wood or wood? And it, and it broke. As soon as they broke, I uh, I got a pipe
0: that was laying in a rail, and I finished him off with the with the pipe. From everything I've learned so far, as well as the feeling I got when I was talking to Resendiz, I have a hunch he was telling me the truth. But to be honest, at the moment, it's no more than that. So of course. I'd be wrong not to have doubts. I've got doubts in my mind about Resendez's confession in Blythe, but there's a couple of things here. First of all, I'm constantly reminded about how accurate he was with the description of the place that he said these killings took place. And also, I'm constantly thinking of the other confession to the murder of Daryl Colahaco. If there is any chance that he was telling the truth there, there are certainly some good evidence to suggest that he might have been. I think about that. As I look at the confession to the murders in Blythe as well, and that of course colours the way I think about it.
1: Was just, so she was a female a prostitute. I have nothing against prostitutes because, of the uh, Jesus was not hard on them, you know. He rolled in the ground, and where's the man? You know.
0: Anthropology. This is Kathy. Oh hi, Kathy. Um, I wondered if Dr. Stedman's around
3: i seen her earlier, so in one second I'll transfer you to her office. Thank you. Hello, this is Donnie.
0: Oh, hi, uh, Dr. Steadman. This is Alex Hannaford. I'm so the next thing I needed to do was talk to an expert and find out whether it's possible to be hit on the head by a blunt object and then your body down the line, whether it be three months or six months or more, not show any signs of blunt force trauma. And the person recommended to me was a woman called Dr. Dawny Stedman, who's actually the director of forensic anthropology at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. My simple question for an anthropologist is, could you find skeletal remains that didn't show any signs of blunt force trauma, but yet that person could have been killed? By blunt force trauma. In other words, if somebody was killed with a, you know, by being bludgeoned by a rock, would it always manifest itself in skull damage? Can it conceivably not?
3: It's always conceivable to not, but it would be difficult to conceive. You can get blunt force trauma in the abdominal area and not leave any skeletal traces because that's kind of just an open area where the skeleton isn't in. Mm. With the skull you can get closed brain injuries um, that can lead to death. In other words, that the skull isn't fractured.
0: In other words, they could have a brain injury that wouldn't necessarily uh, show any outward signs on the skull of, of skull fracture or skull damage. Right. Interesting. Right. So, And it depends presumably on the, how hard they were hit. If they were hit very hard, it would probably result in skull damage. But if they weren't, then it could cause brain damage.
3: Yeah, but it also depends on the nature of the skull, um, how they were hit, the angle, you know, all sorts of things that we can't predict.
0: Is it conceivable that three or four bodies could be found and they just have no idea how they died when his sort of whole modus operandi was to bludgeon someone to death? And that's sort of why I wanted to get in touch with you to see if if it's likely or unlikely.
3: I would find it hard to fathom getting killed by a rock and it not leaving a mark. Okay. I mean, it could happen. We see weird things. But I think that to be hit hard enough to kill somebody would probably leave at least a depression fracture, if not, you know, multiple linear fractures.
0: What does a depression fracture look like if you're looking at it?
3: Well, a depression fracture can just look almost like if you put your thumb and indented the bone. It may not have any fractures that radiate from it, it can just look like almost just an indent- indentation. We can see that, like, especially in, in Native, ancient Native American things, you know, where they were being help, hit by a selt or something like that, which is a rock. Mm. We don't know from an archaeological standpoint if that's what killed them or not. Usually they're healed, so it doesn't look like it killed them. It looks like they survived it. Um, obviously, the more devastating um, types of fractures are when you have the concentric and radiating fractures. And so those are the ones that travel across a, a bone or a skull in this case. Some people may die with cranial fractures and some people may survive them. And some of them can look fairly devastating and the person lives. Others of them look very minor and the person dies. Got it. So you can't really tell from the the look of a fracture if it's fatal or not. Hmm.
0: Well, look, I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Dawny.
3: You're welcome. Good luck. Bye-bye.
0: So that's interesting. Even though it was always conceivable that you could kill someone by bludgeoning them and not leave any trace on their skeleton, she also said it would be highly unlikely that there would be three or four victims that had all been killed in the same way and find four sets of human remains that didn't show any sign of skull fracture if that's how Resendez killed them, which we assume it is. That said, we still don't have any potential victims.
3: For all coroner or public administrator matters, press 1. If you are calling...
0: So my next port of call was to find out whether there had been any bodies or human remains found that had suffered blunt force trauma in the area.
3: Good morning, coroner's bureau.
0: So I phoned the Riverside County Coroner's Office and got through to Tony Townsend, who's the coroner sergeant with Riverside County Sheriff's Department. Could you find a skeletal remains... And not know how that person was killed. But, you know, the the modus operandi for this guy was to bludgeon his victims to death. So, you know, assuming he did the same there, would that have shown up on, you know, the skeletal remains? Would you have had signs of blunt force trauma?
2: Sure, sure. I mean, upwards of 70 percent of our county is desert um so that being said we do find a significant amount of skeletal unidentified remains and i'd say the majority of our undetermined cases which of you know about 13,000 deaths we investigate a year here in Riverside County we probably end up with anywhere you know in in the neighborhood of 50 to 100 undetermined cases every year we could rule out the desert i mean he was very
0: specific about the location that he mm-hmm. did this, so mm-hmm. he, he said it was it was literally on the banks of the river. So right. the the bodies would have been thrown in the river. Now of course that doesn't mean they would have been found sure. in the Blythe vicinity. They could have um, floated down. Yeah, the river. That, and
2: that I'm pretty familiar with the Blythe area, and and a lot of the remains they kind of weave in and out of California and Arizona, as you know, you know yeah. in that area, and yeah, very high likelihood they could have ended up on the Arizona side or undiscovered even yet today they could have gone further so who knows that type of search for us is exceptionally difficult our strong database you know in terms of really immediately searchable stuff doesn't start till 2012. everything else beyond that is virtually hand search at this point we have logs and stuff that make it somewhat easier probably given the scope of what you're looking for like if you had asked me if in 2012 was there a triple homicide in life, i mean i'd have that information for you right now on the phone To
0: cast a net that wide in a 10-year or possibly 11-year span and just say if there were bodies that exhibited signs of blunt force trauma that were found alongside the Colorado River in Riverside County between in that Mm 10-year time frame ending 99 is almost impossible. Yeah,
2: in terms of, yeah, that we just didn't categorize the data like that until, like I said, like 2012.
0: Course these are unidentified human remains. So what about the people who were identified but they have no idea who
2: killed them? Sure. That's a trick too, is at the coroner's office we don't often know too much of unless we go to trial with the criminal investigation, which we do frequently, but we obviously don't know case closure. We won't know if they're adjudicated or not, or if an arrest was made in connection or anything like that.
0: Thanks, Tony. I appreciate it. No problem, sir. So that's pretty frustrating, actually. Um, It basically means that if Resendiz did commit these murders, he obviously did them before he was arrested in 1999. And that was way before the coroner's office started making their data searchable by keyword, which means I'm basically no closer to finding out if there were any victims at all. A quick word about one of our sponsors. Brook Linen was started by a husband and wife who didn't think it should be so difficult or expensive to get fancy hotel quality sheets for your home. Now, it gets hot in Texas, so I chose the original Classic Core sheet set made of lightweight cotton, so your whole bed feels like the cool side of the pillow. They're crisp and airy, and you feel like you're getting luxury hotel bedding, but without the luxury markup, which can be as much as 300%. Founders Vicky and Rich Fullop decided to take out the middleman, keep things personal just between them and the customer. Now, my Brooklinen sheets are the best, most comfortable sheets I've ever slept on, and brooklinen.com is giving an exclusive offer just for our listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code DMT at brooklinen.com. And Brooklinen is so sure you'll love your new sheets – that they're offering a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. Now, the only way to get that $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code DMT at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Now, back to Dead Man Talking. So I may have reached some dead ends here, but my conversation with Chief Wade in the last episode has made me think that my hunch that Resendez was telling me the truth might not be completely naive. He may well have killed here in this sleepy desert community. And if he did, then does that make it more likely that he also killed Daryl Kolohako back in Houston, Texas? So you'll recall earlier, I found that Blythe could have been visited by the happy face killer. And it was extraordinary that there were potentially two serial killers operating in the same area. But as I carried on my research, I discovered that there could have been another. This is absolutely incredible. It's um, blown my mind. I've just been going through the Riverside County Coroner's Office website. I was going through the kind of date range from the eighties and nineties that Resendiz would have been at large. And I found this case back in 1983, which I would have thought would have been on the early end of when Resendiz was doing his thing, but certainly a possibility. He was definitely, we know he was in the States at this point, but what blew me away was this. So this is an unidentified set of human remains And it was found in the open desert area north of the I-10 freeway in Blythe, California. It's believed the woman was between 18 and 25 years of age. She died between eight months and two years prior to being found. Due to the condition of the body, no scars, tattoos or disfigurements were observed and no clothing was located with her, no jewelry or identification was found. But this bit is incredible. Under the section that says circumstances, It says, these skeletal remains were found above ground in the desert and reflected extreme exposure to the elements. At one time, Henry Lee Lucas took credit for the death of a young woman in the vicinity and time that this woman's remains were found. At one point, Henry Lee Lucas was thought to be the most prolific serial killer in US history. He confessed to over 3,000 murders. But what investigators discovered was that most of those were false confessions. I was amazed that there was another serial killer, the Happy Face Killer, who operated in the Blythe area. And if what Resendez told me is correct, then he would he'd committed three or four murders in the Blythe area too. Well, I'd been looking at the Henry Lee Lucas case because it was interesting that he'd falsely confessed to a number of murders, hundreds of murders, that would no way could have been him. So there's two things here. Number one, I wasn't expecting Henry Lee Lucas's name to come up attached to Blythe at all. But the other thing that's kind of interesting is that now experts think that Henry Lee Lucas probably only killed a few people uh, and all the others were just confessions, false confessions. And if that's the case, who killed this woman whose body was found near the I-10 freeway in Blythe, California? From DMT Media and Audio Boom, this is the Dead Man Talking podcast. So it's timely that Henry Lee Lucas has come up, because in the next podcast, should I believe a word Resendiz says? Because let's face it, who on earth would trust a serial killer? Run for
1: the fences, Riley.
0: Dead Man Talking is presented by me, Alex Hannaford. The producer and sound engineer is Peter Sale. Connor Tolany is our researcher and production assistant. And as always, we'd like to thank Goodnight Texas, a fantastic band, for our fantastic theme song. You should definitely check them out at Hi, we are Goodnight Texas, you.com. We post court documents, pictures and other developments of the story on our Facebook group and you can message us on there too. So that address again is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash dead man talking. Don't forget to tweet us at deadman podcast and you can email us at deadman talking podcast at outlook.com. So, if you're in the Boston area on November the 3rd, me and Kelly Horan of the Last Scene podcast will be in conversation with Joseph Lichterman of the Lenfest Institute for Journalism at the Sound Education Conference at Harvard University. I'll be chatting about how Dead Man Talking all came about and some behind the scenes stuff about how we make the show. And by the way, if you haven't already, you should check out Kelly's podcast, Last Scene. It's about the largest art heist in history, and it's fantastic. You can get tickets for the event at soundeducation.fm. And I hope to see you there.